Well, I stopped trying to guess a long time ago what's holding up the Pac-12 media rights deal, but I've got somebody here today who might know a thing or two more than me. You are Locked On Pac-12, your daily podcast on the Pac-12 Conference. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Locked On Pack 12. I am your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, and your number one source to stay up to date with our media rights free and beloved Conference of Champions. Like, comment, subscribe, rate, review, please, and thank you wherever you listen to or watch the show, which is a pretty special episode today because we have John Canzano. He's at John Canzano BFT. On Twitter, that of course stands for the Bald Faced Truth, which we will get plenty of today, I am sure. 750 the game, John Kenzano.com. He's everywhere. John, it's great to have you on today's show. Hey, thanks for having me on. Big fan of your work. Uh, I think you do a really good job of thank you sorting through the nonsense. So uh, <laughs> let's have at it. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a lot to to get through. And I know that you dive into the weeds on this sort of stuff pretty regularly. And first thing that I want to ask you, John, is a question that's on my mind with June 30th, just three days away as this episode comes out. What what do you suspect is is the holdup with, with the Pac-12 media rights deal? Because there have been so many talks about, you know, and reports about uh, talks and negotiations and conferences and yada, yada, yada. But what do you feel like the holdup is at this point in time? Yeah, it's, it's interesting to, to sort of sort through the semantics of this, right? Because None of us in media, especially covering college football, were this isn't what we do. This isn't what we were, uh, you know, what we came up in this business covering media rights and conference expansion and realignment. And so a lot of what we are seeing and encountering is is brand new. Like I've never covered a team leaving the Pac-12 conference before this last year. And with UCLA and USC leaving, it felt like that happened overnight. But as we look back and as you talk to people, You know, those were conversations that began more than a year before UCLA and USC, um, you know, came out and then they just accelerated in the 11th hour. And so, you know, you see media rights deals get done and then we find out that the Big Ten deal isn't done. It's just sort of done in principle. And, you know, not everything has been dotted and crossed on that Big Ten deal. And so, uh, you know, with the Pac-12's media rights deal, I think part of the holdup has been that none of us really understands how long it takes to do a deal. None of us understood the complexity when you lose the Los Angeles television market. That's 5.7 million television households. That That's a major gut punch for the Pac-12. And so I think initially the conference was forced to sort of, uh, you know, try to put a Band-Aid on things, get its feet underneath it. You know, they said they were going to market early. That was that big statement that came out in, you know, July and August. And then, you know, as we look back, we now know, you know, I know that in December, as, as late as December, the Pac-12 was still modeling media rights deals that included UCLA as part of the package. Now, that tells me that they thought when UCLA was in, you know, sort of wrapped up in that UC Regent stuff, that there was a chance that the Bruins were still going to reverse field and come back. So I think part of the holdup initially was the Pac-12 find, trying to figure out, could they hold UCLA in the conference? They knew USC was gone, but I think there was some sentiment internally to sort of pump the brakes Find out where UCLA really stands, where the region's going to come in and put a stop to it. Because if they did, it really does change your media rights negotiations. So I think part of it was, I, you know, myself included, I was eager 
to report on it and find out what was happening in November and December. And I look back now and I go, gosh, they were still modeling. Like they were asking the media partners, the bidders to model media rights deals that had UCLA as part of the conference. And so I think until up and uh, until about Christmas time, the Pac-12 was probably still holding out hope that UCLA was going to come back. And it's not a bad strategy play if you're the conference to sort of say, hey, look, you know, best case scenario, you still hold on to the L.A. TV market. I think in January, they really were forced to pivot. There was all that noise on the landscape about teams bolting and going different places. I continued to hear in January and February that the conference was galvanized. I've heard nothing else since then that all 10 remaining members want to be part of the conference. Oregon and Washington feel like, you know, access to the playoff is really important to them, maybe more important than some of the media rights uh, money that they could get short term by maybe shopping themselves around to some less than ideal places. But I think part of the holdup was we didn't understand how long these deals take. Part of it was, hey, you've got you know the, the UCLA factor in the background. And then let's not forget, Spencer, you've got new partners here. You've got Amazon. You've got Apple. These are not traditional college sports you know, uh, carriers. And so I think there were a lot of complex discussions that were happening. I was told by a PAC 12 CEO group member early on that normally when you do a TV deal, you have a conversation with ESPN or Fox, it takes them like an hour to sort of understand the nuance of one part of the contract. They kind of work through it. I was told with Apple, they would ask a question, Apple would ask a question and it took a week for them to sort through like some nuance of the of the contract that was, you know, a foregone conclusion in previous deals with Fox and ESPN and people who had done deals like this. So I think new partners, uncertain timeline, the UCLA uncertainty. And then really, I think in the end here, when we look back, when they do get a deal, and I think they will get a deal here in the next couple of few weeks, when they do get a deal, I think we're going to look back and go, hey, was anybody really serious about leaving? Was Colorado really just kicking the tires or kind of exploring and saying, hey, is this in our best interest? Was Arizona doing any of that? I think we're going to look back and determine that nobody was all that serious about leaving because these expansion and realignment decisions are driven by massive breakout, you know, uh, Big Ten money. You, you've got, you know. And, tech- by, and by presidents, too. Yeah, the presidents, they don't, they're not going to move for a couple million dollars. These have to be ground, these have to be massive earthquakes that cause that cause a, a, a team to jump from a power five conference to somewhere else. So I think the PAC 12 as a core, the 10 remaining members were all sort of galvanized going, Hey, there's no urgency except for people like you and I Spencer and PAC 12 fans who are sitting there going, what's going on? What's going on? Because everybody wants to know what's happening. Yeah. It's never felt to me that there's been an internal sense of panic as much as the panic, the chaos has been, more external. And, you know, the way that I interpreted comments from uh, Arizona and Colorado officials that just like kind of leave the door cracked open on, yeah, we could maybe go to the Big 12 uh, one day or or jump back for this, that, and the other thing. To me, it kind of read as, you know, a a tornado safety plan, right? Like I I lived in Oklahoma for the first year that I worked out, out of college and, you know, tornado drills were very new to me there. We never had a tornado come through town it was technically a possibility. There hadn't been one there in a a couple decades, but you're still gonna put the plan in place so that you can be prepared if that does 
come come to fruition there because hey you never know and and you know how many times especially it feels like in in today's world do you have situations just in literally anything in life where it's like this hasn't happened in you know 25 years this hasn't happened in 30 years or for the first time in you know this sort of stuff like you know just to use a sports example nobody had ever come back from a 3-1 deficit in the finals before and then LeBron and Kyrie did it doesn't doesn't mean it was likely to happen a lot of things went went into that but it does mean that that sort of stuff can happen, you know, once once in a blue moon, which is how a lot of people feel at the prospect of the Pac-12 getting financially the same sort of number that the Big 12 got, which we definitely, definitely have to talk about. Yeah, that, we have I, to. I think you're right on that. And I also it was interesting to me to hear some of the sources that I was talking to privately go public at different points and to see what they were saying publicly versus what they were sharing privately with me. And I think there were a lot of constituents at some of these schools, Colorado and Arizona in particular, uh, that really wanted their team for one reason or another to be in a different conference. And I think presidents, chancellors and athletic directors, I think they're doing some pandering. I think they were, you know, sort of playing to the audience a little bit going, well, you know, we have to do what's best for us. Keeps the interest high. Yes. Yeah. And, yeah. It, keep, it, keep, know, hey, it keeps. We're in demand. We're in right. demand. You know, we we're wanted in multiple places. You know, but and I think yeah, that's, that's a good point. Fine. I think it's all fine. But I think in the end, there's not game changing money out there for anybody right now, except UCLA and USC, and it's because of the LA TV market, not because of the Bruins and Trojans brands necessarily. Well, there could be game-changing money for any of you listening or watching out there if you go check out FanDuel because baseball season is in full swing and there's no better place to get in on the action than FanDuel, America's number one sports book. And right now, new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's $1,000 back in bonus bets. If your first bet doesn't win, just go to FanDuel.com slash locked on to join today. You can bet over-unders in the Pac-12 as well. Who do you think is going to win the championship? Who's going over? Who's going under their win total? You all know I love cat. All you everydayers out there know that for some reason I love Cal over four and a half wins. Am I crazy? Maybe. Maybe I'm completely off my rocker. But if you think that's the case, then put your money where your mouth is and go check out FanDuel. Again, get that no sweat first bet up to $1,000 when you join FanDuel today. Just go to FanDuel.com slash locked on to sign up. FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball. All right, John, that's what we call the second segment sip so that I don't get dry mouth and a sore throat to keep things going here in in the show. One thing that in, in the columns you've been writing covering uh, this whole media rights saga over the last several months, one, one quote that I have seen kind of come up over and over again from a number of different sources is, oh, yeah, we feel like we're going to beat the Big 12's number. Oh, yeah, we feel 31.6 million per school. Uh, someone said that's a layup. You know, we, we feel we're going going to get there. I have my doubts on that just as, as an outsider, but you're much more on the ground there. Do you feel that that is an attainable feat for the Pac-12 to have a distribution figure just from the media rights, not factoring in the playoff and postseason and all that sort of stuff, just from the media rights? Do you really think they can get beyond the Big 12 pretty easily, or do you think that's just kind of putting a positive spin on a tenuous situation? Well, I mean, I think they were going to get well beyond it if they had retained the L.A. TV market. Yeah, so absolutely. Start there. But I think they're going to have, you know, when I first heard that quote, I first per, first source that told me that was late February, early March, got it reiterated. And it has consistently been reiterated from people who are actually in the room. Now, look, I'm not in the room. I'm not seeing the numbers on on paper. But I can tell you that I ran that by several media world experts who do these deals. And they said, look, yeah, they can get there, but they're not going to get there with 10 schools. 
So it tells me that that likely we're looking at expansion of the Pac-12, so 10 to 12 probably. So you need to replace the inventory that you've lost from UCLA and USC when, you know, just when it comes to your carriers. Your partners are going to want that inventory for basketball and they're going to want it for football. Secondarily, you have to, you know, again, that 5.7 million TV homes you lost, you have to replace them. And, you know, you get 1.16 million by getting San Diego State. You get 3.9 million by getting SMU. That's how you get above 31.6. Now, I keep going back to the well on that. I keep going back to those sources saying, hey, how are you feeling now? How are you feeling now? They, they're probably tired of me asking. They continue to say that they're confident that they're going to beat the number. Second source said, I said, can you be in range of the Big 12's number? And they said, that's a layup, that they'll be in range of the number. Now, how they get there, uh, is it with Apple? Is it with Amazon? Is it with some blend involving ESPN? I don't know. But I have a suspicion that, you know, when I have more than one person telling me the same thing, I have a suspicion they've seen numbers. They like the numbers. They're also waiting. And, you know, we've all talked about SMU and San Diego State as kind of the, uh, the no-brainer expansion decisions that are in front of them. I was told that there was a big gap between those two and number three and number four that they examined. But it just it sort of points to me in the direction of that they will expand. And, you know, getting to 31.6, it's not a, it's, you know, that's not a huge number by media rights standards when you look at what the SEC and the Big Ten are getting. But it would put the Pac-12 in third place until, you know, the ACC goes back to market uh, whenever they get back to market in 2036. So I, I heard you mention the, the television homes component and what, you know, Dallas would bring in and San Diego. And look, I, I've long advocated every day or know here on the show. I'm a fan of adding San Diego State and, and SMU going forward with with those 12 teams but generally speaking john g5 schools are not seen as accretive institutions financially they're seen as more dilutive to the media deal because they can't you know at least in the early stages you know utah had this when they came into the pac-12 they were not a full media rights share earning member until i think it was four or five years uh in into that that previous deal and that's how basically every g5 addition to my knowledge has worked are you saying that san diego state and SMU are, are different in that sense because of the, the geography that they can add? Well, I'm th- the, you have to think about expansion in terms of those TV markets. Like, again, I'll go back. Big Ten didn't want the Bruins and the Trojans. The Big Ten wanted Los Angeles, and they right. wanted it in a bad way. And they knew that if they could grab both L.A. schools, it was going to be a major victory. Same reason that they grabbed Maryland. They wanted Washington, D.C. They grabbed Rutgers. They wanted New York City. I know they don't rate in those markets, but guess what? Neither does UCLA. It doesn't rate in the L.A. TV market. SMU necessarily doesn't rate in Dallas, but that's not how TV executives view it, and that's not how they sell their sponsorships. So they're looking for major markets, and you know Dallas would be immediately the biggest market in the Pac-12, just day one. They become the biggest market. I also think SMU probably comes in at a very low initial distribution. The boosters there are super motivated. So there may yep. be sort of a, you know, a, 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 so to speak, a buy-in or an expansion type uh, viewpoint from the Pac-12 presidents and chancellors as they view SMU. Now, there's always the chance that the presidents and chancellors will, will uh, think differently than you and I and think differently than other people out there that go, hey, that makes sense. They may not think like TV executives and they may say, no, 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 we just want to remain at 10 We don't know what's going to happen in the next cycle. So there's always a chance that that happens. But I do think SMU and San Diego State are different. SMU's collective, uh, the Boulevard, would immediately be the number two funded collective in the Pac-12 on day one. They've got, you know, all the patrol. Is Oregon the number one team out of them? 
uh, Oregon is yeah. uh, sitting at Division Street. But I, I talked with the, the head of SMU's collective and I said, OK, what are we talking about? You know, what, what kind of money are we talking about? And they said they did their homework. They believe they would be the number two funded collective in the conference Jeez. right away. And and, you know, I also think, you know, the 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 Mr. Miller, who is their donor, his name's on the court. Uh, he is the, uh, the head of the board of trustees at SMU. He is their biggest donor. He's given one hundred million dollars to his alma mater. His name's on a bunch of buildings. Um, he has been uh, highly involved in this expansion exploration process. And I'm told that he met with George Klyovkov, the Pac-12 commissioner, on that visit that Klyovkov made to Dallas uh, in uh, in March or February. And so I think you know the the donors are driving it at SMU in a way that is very unusual. And you know, the, and it may speak the love language of the Pac-12 presidents. They they may view SMU as sort of the replacement of USC, when you know private school, well funded, um, you know, comes in with a major media market. Uh, San Diego State's a little different. You know, San Diego State had a hard time, even in the wake of their basketball success. You know, they're not getting a bunch of NIL donations. I think the donors at San Diego State are a little tapped out from Snapdragon Stadium and everything that was asked about for them, you know, and investing in basketball initially and now football. So it's been really interesting for me to kind of, you know, use Utah as the example and go, okay, which one of these two programs could be like Utah, come into the conference and, you know, compete or win multiple football championships. I look a little bit more at SMU as maybe that candidate than San Diego State. I think San Diego State would be fine, but I think San Diego State, you know, would carry the torch in men's basketball right out of the gates and add a little bit of identity. And of course it gets you back into Southern California. I think the PAC 12 presidents like that. Yeah. I, I get that suspicion as well. Cause their interests go beyond just, you know, a, a TV market value, which is a component for sure. But you have to think about recruiting. You have to think about your alumni base and where you can, you know, have people like, where's all the money in, in the United States. California is like the fifth largest economy in, in the world. I I'm pretty sure. And having, graduates from from schools that are there and being in that sort of area definitely matters to university presence might not matter to as many people listening or watching right now who are just concerned about football and realignment and all that sort of stuff but i'm just telling you it definitely definitely matters to them arizona state has a campus i believe in southern california or, or kind of in in that area having those geographical ties ab absolutely matters to them it's just interesting to hear you talk about smu like that because i've been discussing them a lot on the pod for the last couple weeks SMU and San Diego State both and one thing that that I've I've been arguing is that both of those schools I think could could, could compete sooner than people realize because of the portal and then SMU you pile on the NIL component in which they would be as you said according to the the head of their their collective there the second wealthiest in the Pac-12 overall I think when you factor in the portal you can just rebuild your roster so quickly. And San Diego State, by the way, is I think seven and four against Pac-12 schools in the last like you know five, ten years or so. Like they've already had success there. SMU hasn't yet, but the potential is certainly there. And I think both, if if they can you know bring that media-wise, what you were talking about from a valuation standpoint, I think those are just such no-brainer top two additions for the Pac-12. Yeah, and I think you know SMU is. I warmed to SMU because initially when I heard that, I went, Dallas, do you really need it? Are, you know, are they, do they matter to people in Dallas? And, and ultimately what I came back with was, gosh, they're super motivated. Like they might come into the conference 
uh, instead of taking a distribution in year one, they might pay. Like they could become like the first college expansion program to say, hey, we'd like to buy into your conference. I think they're that motivated. And Has I think that they happened know, before. It hasn't happened before. And, you know, you've seen teams come in at a reduced distribution. But I, you know, I was joking around with some of the other reporters and saying, well, how, how low would SMU go? And I said, well, what if I'm SMU and I'm a donor at SMU and I view the Pac-12 as my last chance to get into a power five? Uh, they're coming in at zero in year one, or would they offer, would they say, Hey, look, we know you're upside down with Comcast and this fiasco that you had with the overpayment. Would they come in and say to Washington state and Oregon state and Arizona, Arizona state say, Hey, we have the overpayment issue covered. We, you know, we're good to buy our way into the conference in year one. I don't think that's unthinkable. You've got donors putting their names on buildings. How about a donor who can put their name on the idea that, Hey, we bought our way into the PAC 12. Well, and the, and the other thing, too, is you mentioned, I think, is the, the Miller is the name of the court there. But aren't the Hunts tied yeah. to, yeah, the Hunt family that owns the Kansas City Chiefs uh, tied to, to SMU? I'm pretty sure they're graduates of uh, of SMU. I mean, that would be, I, I know SMU has a lot of money, but hearing you say that and just like throwing that notion out there, that would be a crazy, crazy amount of money to pony up, pun intended. But that would be that would be, I think, pretty, pretty interesting to see. Yeah. So or at the very least, you've got those donors saying, look, we'll come in at a very low distribution. Yeah. Benefit. You sell the market. Everybody else gets fat in the first couple of years. We will subsidize the program, our own program with donations. And because they badly want to be in the power five. And when I looked at their collective, it was a laundry list of millionaires and billionaires in oil and petroleum investment banking and mergers and acquisitions. And, you know, one person that I talked with that is a big donor at SMU said, you know, we've got the money, we've got the deep pockets. They're not worried about the, you know, buying their way out of their conference that they're in now. Um, you know, I think if the PAC 12 wants SMU, I think SMU is going to find a way to get in there. Some have said that oil and petroleum has turned out to be a pretty profitable industry. Some, some, some have said maybe that's a Big 12 misinformation campaign. Who knows? But anyway, uh, speaking of, of that, John, there has been a picture painted in a media and Internet landscape of the Pac-12 that is one of the Titanic or any other sinking ship analogy that, that you want to throw in there, that it's a disaster, that it's chaotic, that they're all this sort of stuff. But you actually talk to people on the ground in these negotiations affiliated with, with the universities. How would you compare and contrast kind of the outside narrative of the PAC-12 to what you hear when you talk to people who, who are involved with these universities? Yeah, it's night and day. I mean, it, it could not be a different set of messaging. I mean, it's, it's as dramatically different as it, as it could be. Um, you know, as we all know, we have seen this in business. We have seen this in elections and politics. That, you know, if you want to create a, uh, a misinformation campaign, uh, have at it. You know, social media is ripe for it. And, you know, I've got a variety of accounts with no followers that are brand new that are tweeting at me on a daily basis. And, uh, you know, I've, I've muted and blocked so many accounts that, uh, you know, it's just noise. And when you talk with the actual principals involved, they're all confused at, at what the messaging that is external. They, they, at least this is what they're saying. They say they do not feel that pressure. They did not feel the timeline. They did not feel at any point that Oregon and Washington were leaving. They don't, they never felt that the four corner schools, in fact, I talked to several executives at those four corner schools and people who were in the room who said, hey, that's not how we feel. That's not what is happening. 
Um, I really do think it's become interesting to watch who you can and cannot trust right now. There are a variety of consulting firms that have been hired. Some of them, uh, one of the consulting firms is getting $60,000 a month to consult for one of the schools, um, you know, and these consultants. I might get into consulting. Yeah, we need to do that. I mean, come on. Like, and, and part of it is, I get it. Like, they're trying to craft, you know, a, uh, you know, one of the schools, let's use Gonzaga as an example. Gonzaga, uh, you know, contracted with a firm called, um, out, of, out, of, uh, out of Chicago, I'm not going to use their name, but uh, there's a firm in Chicago that, uh, that Gonzaga has contracted with to find out like and explore what their value is in men's basketball. What is their value as they look forward? And, you know, that members of that firm have reached out to me to try to pitch, you know, Hey, how much upside there is in men's basketball. It's really the last untapped frontier in major college athletics. Oh, there's so much opportunity there. And look at the NCAA tournament units that Gonzaga is getting. And, you know, they're really sort of nudging you towards telling this favorable story about Gonzaga and you could just turn around and I guess you could regurgitate that. And I think some out there are just simply falling prey to listening to the consulting firms and spitting back what they're being told. Others, I think, are just super motivated to make the Pac-12 look bad. But let's also, Spencer, let's acknowledge that the Pac-12 played a role in this. They went silent in July, August, after media day. They went silent for too long and they didn't tell their own story. And I think by the time the presidents and chancellors started popping up in, in February and March, it was too late. That vacuum had been filled by a bunch of people with agenda. You know, of course, the Big 12 Conference and some, uh, some members and uh, entities involved er, 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 that contract with the Big 12 want, you know, destabilization in the Pac-12 because it, it helps the Big 12's interest. It would be great for the Big 12 to get Colorado and Arizona. In order to do that, you really have to destabilize the Pac-12. It needs to splinter because Colorado and Arizona aren't leaving for the same amount of money or a little more. That's just not going to happen. So I think there was an effort that was going on behind the scenes, overtly, in your face, on social media, that reminded me of the political races of the last couple of elections. It was ugly. I didn't like it. But I think people are smart enough to discern what they should trust, what they can trust, who's sourced, who's, who isn't. And when you start reading things and people are writing, this could happen or this may happen, the imminent demise of the Pac-12 was predicted over and over again for months. And yet- It was Pac predicted on Friday, on, yeah. uh, well, like last Thursday by yeah. Paul Feinbaum because he's getting asked about it. And he says, yeah, I don't see how it's around by, by 2026. And I came on here and said, well, what, what exactly is your roadmap there? Like you're yeah. just, just speaking in generalities about that sort of stuff because- I think that's kind of the easy default answer now is, oh, look at them. They don't have a media rights deal. They said it would be done by now and it's not. And so, you know, they're just going to, you know, Oregon and Washington are jumping any day. And it's like that that's that's not happening. The Big Ten would have to actually want them for yeah. that to happen. And the Big Ten clearly does not. Yeah, the Big Ten would have to want them. And then Oregon and Washington have a have a question to answer. Like, do they value access to the playoff or do they value a little more money, a lot more money? What distribution are they getting? Um, you know, what about the non-revenue generating sports? As I talk with Oregon and Washington, they're not, you know, I'm not hearing from them, hey, we're dying to get out of this conference. I'm hearing, gosh, there's a great opportunity. We could be in the playoff every other year. We could be in the playoff in a decade, six or seven times. And, and Oregon and Washington value that, especially Oregon right now. You know, Phil Knight is not getting any younger. They'd like to get to the playoff and rattle around for him. Yeah. Last thing that I think that's an interesting calculation because, I, I get the sense Oregon and Washington would go, but I like personally, 
don't want as an Oregon fan, I don't want them to go. I don't want them to leave the Pac-12 because like you said, you're trying to build the best opportunity possible to get to the playoff to win a national champion. All right, little bit of a technical glitch there, but we are uh, we are back. Uh, and one final question here for, for John Canzano. I read this interesting piece from Ross Dellinger in Sports, Sports Illustrated a while back about how it feels like whatever move the Pac-12 or the Big 12 make, it all feels kind of temporary, like a stopgap solution, at least in the conversation for realignment. I get the sense that this stuff is not really going away, that once the Pac-12, you know, finishes up this deal that they'll, you know, move on to, like, what could they do next? Or how do they position themselves for the next round of realignment? And other conferences will do the same. What's your sense on that? Yeah, I think the days of seeing long-term deals are are, are over. I mean, I, the ACC is locked into their deal through 2036. You're not going to see anybody do that. And I don't even think you're going to see the Pac-12 do a 10 or 12-year deal, which was customary in their last deal. Um, so I think what we're going to see is we're going to see members say, look, we want to go back to market right around 2029 before the Big Ten goes back to market, before the SEC goes back to market. I think they're playing a short-term game for now. Uh, maybe they're hoping UCLA gets tired of the travel and would want back in after 2029. Maybe the members like Oregon and Washington just want to see how it goes with the expanded playoff and see how it's working. But I think what we're going to see, I think you're absolutely right. Ross is right. He does a good job. I think we're going to see the, the schools themselves just think in five to seven year periods now and, and then sort of look up. We're seeing more expansion, more jumping around in, in this era than in any history of college athletics. When, we, when you go back and look at, you know, the Pac-12 added a team in, what, 2011? Uh, and Utah and Colorado come into the conference. And, and now here we are talking about, you know, SMU and you know, UCLA leaving and San Diego State coming in. So I think five to seven years, absolutely. 2029, we'll do this again. There'll be rampant speculation so I just think it's going to be incumbent upon your viewers and your listeners to figure out who they can trust, figure out who is sourced, who's talking to people in the room and who's just talking, because I think there's going to be a lot more of this and a lot more to report. Well, I may not be the most sourced guy out there in the space, but I do do plenty of talking and hopefully that's good enough for the people listening yes. or, or watching out there. John Canzano, 750 The Game Radio and johncanzano.com. Go subscribe to his work over there. He's got great, great stuff covering all of this, I lean on him heavily. We leaned on him today. And John, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks, Spencer. And as always, I appreciate everyone listening. I will see you next time. And until then, hope you have a wonderful rest of your day.